0: Hi, I'm Chris McBrien a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope.
1: Episode 40, Moon Movie Review. <laughs> Chris McBrien here, along with Yancey Eaton. As always, this is Pop Goes Your World. You'll be able to reach out to us on Twitter at Yancey Eaton or at C CMcBrien, McBrien is I-E-N, or head over to PopGoesYourWorld.com. All of our contact information is on there. Yancey, what are you doing tonight, my friend?
0: Uh, What's going on as we speak? Uh, Right now, I am sipping on some very, very cheap black velvet Canadian whiskey. (laughs) It was the cheapest bottle at the liquor store.
1: (laughs) It comes uh, all the way from Canada down to Florida, and it's the cheapest. So that tells you something. A very exotic
0: dark whiskey. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sipping on that tonight and just enjoying the first day off that I've had in eight days. It's been a really, really uh, tumultuous eight days at work, but um, it feels really nice. Like, uh, you know, some people try to say that escapism is like a bad thing. Like, you should be avoiding that and you should be present and living in the moment but i view this podcast as kind of like an escape it's a little mini, you know mini vacation that we built in you know once a week we do this and i look forward to it every single week so i'm just ready to kind of i don't know just get into it with a group and, and escapism have some is bo- Vel-
1: exactly escapism is what we're all about on this show pop culture is all about escapism and getting away yep. from the, the everyday and so we obviously revel in that but i gotta tell you as a canadian and a proud canadian at that as you know yancy i gotta send you some good stuff man black velvet is crap
0: like, I mean, like seriously, I said,
1: you could use it to clean like your shoes or something, but.
0: Yeah, it's not the best, but, um, you know, I would be lying if I said that it was the worst that I've ever had. I'm trying to cut back on my caloric intake just because I keep, you know, I keep gradually gaining weight. And so I, you know, my wife suggested that I drink, you know, a couple of mixed drinks as opposed to just, you know, downing like a ton of beers and stuff. So, uh, but downing you know, a
1: ton of beers is so much fun. <laughs> Chris, you and I speak the same language. I we do. It. Oh man, it's like you're, it's like you're, <laughs> you're Canadian, you know, by association, almost loving all that beer. Uh, so yep. no, I'll send you some good, uh, some good whiskey sometime. Like I mean, you know, even some CC or something like that. You know, some, I'll, I'll get you okay. some good stuff. It's, it's sure. Um, but anyway, so anything uh, you want to talk, touch base a little bit about what's going on in the news lately? I'm you know? um, sure. So uh,
0: Paramore, it's a band I'm not sure if you're intimately familiar with or not. You may have heard of them, but Paramount. they released a new album for the first time in four years. Uh, it's it's a female fronted kind of like an indie pop uh, pop punk band by Haley Williams, uh, one of the best vocalists of the last 10 or 15 years. They released a new album that I've been obsessed with. I ended up buying it. Um, and that's been a real positive in the music industry for me. I was really excited about it. Um, on a negative side, however, I'm sure, you know, anybody who lives you know in the digital age, they've, they've seen this already. Already, but Chris Cornell, the former lead singer of AudioSlave, and uh, excuse me, I'm just like coughing. Um, Chris Cornell actually passed away. And that kind of caught me, you know, off guard or whatever. I woke up and I got multiple texts from people saying, like, "Hey, you know, Chris Chris, Chris Cornell is gone," and you know, like he had just performed the night before, and uh, it looks like it was an alleged suicide. And uh, you know, I'm not going to speculate on, on what his cause of death was or whatever. But I just did want to kind of mention it. You know, a couple episodes ago, maybe a little bit more than a couple, but a few episodes ago, we actually did our our best rock vocalist of all time. Um, he didn't make my top five, but I did give him an honorable mention just because he has one of the most iconic, um, interesting voices of like the last twenty. Five years, and uh, he, along with Nirvana, kind of led that whole grunge rock push, that whole scene, and um, it was just really unfortunate to, to hear that, and you know, to hear the circumstances of which you know he most likely died was of a suicide. It was just really disheartening. Um, I'll just I'm not honest, like a mental like- health expert.
1: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I'll just be honest in regard to this. Like, I never really, like, not that I don't like his music, I never really got into that, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't really know him all that well. I know he was in uh, Soundgarden and stuff, but uh, yep. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in the 70s and 80s. If it didn't happen in the 70s or 80s, I'm like, I don't know what it is. And, you know, I never really got into the grunge scene, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, I don't know. I just never, again, I'm nothing, as, as far as anything that I've heard of him that he's done, um, you know, from from a vocal point of view, is he's an unbelievable talent, unbelievable. But I just I never really got into that scene, so I don't know. I can't really comment on that too much. But I know, yeah, I remember you texting me right away, say, hey man, this is what happened. I can't believe it. So, bit of a in damage. either
0: event it's it, it's it's unfortunate I hate to you know bring up something negative like yeah. that but he was very iconic for the last 20 years and like I said the, the circumstances surrounding it it is super unfortunate and um, this sounds very very cheesy but I'm serious about this um, my family has been personally touched by mental illness like this I've had you know people that I've known and worked with and family members take their lives um, so I would just encourage anybody if you do have those types of uh, thoughts or you know somebody who like that you might think is, is dealing with some issues, don't don't hesitate to reach out to somebody if you do need help or if you see somebody that you think might. You know, it may be an awkward conversation at first, but only good can come from it. And I just want people to encourage, kind of look out for those people that are around you.
1: Oh, good for you. I, I encourage students, I, usually about about three quarters of the way through the semester, I'll always uh, mention that to the class. I'll say, you know what? Look around if there's any students or any friends, you know, that you haven't maybe seen in a week or two. Now is the crunch time. You know, like, like now's the time people can get, yep. you know, People can get their heads out of you know in, in different places and, and worry about things and there's a lot of stress in that environment and I try to encourage uh, students to do that as well and just look out for each other. It's a good thing. Uh, anyway, you ready to get started? We've got uh, we've got another movie review this week. You want to hit it? Yep. Let's do it. Let's go if it includes getting Crunch Berries up here in Canada, let's do it. You know, I had like this amazing childhood, which I did. And he went on to play Takashi in Revenge of the Nerds, which is one of my favorite movies, like, ever. Uh, True story, Ben Savage is the most famous person I've ever met in real life. Playing the sitar and all these
0: flowers would drop on him. I had Reading Rainbow t-shirts. I had Reading Rainbow notebooks. Not Crunch Berries because we don't get those in Canada. My mom basically locked us out of the house. I
1: gotta stay home and grease the Weezer. In 94, (laughs) that Little Rascals movie that came out. In the 94 version, Jesse did they have to grease the weezer oh my 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 okay so this week it's back to you yancy so after last week when we did the you know the iconic 1980 movie airplane you know my, my favorite movie one of my favorite comedies of all time um so this week it went back to you and you said that you wanted to review the night or the 2009 movie moon so mm-hmm. um so do you want to kick us off with anything before i get into it
0: Yeah, sure. I can go ahead and set us up with the film. Uh, This is probably the most esoteric film that you and I combined have uh, suggested for this movie review. Um, So, like you mentioned, it's a 2009 uh, British science fiction drama. It was co-written and directed by Duncan Jones, who's also done Source Code and 2016's warcraft movie which was legitimately one of the worst movies i have seen in the last 15 years it was really really bad um but however i still really enjoyed this movie a lot uh it only had a budget of five million dollars which i don't know if you were able to tell that it was very low budget whenever you're watching it but um a five million dollar budget and it only grossed 9.8 million dollars so this is a very under the radar film um i was texting a couple of my friends before the show none of them had heard of it um but obviously this is a movie that i really enjoy it's been uh something i've 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 gone back to it multiple times when people ask me for sci-fi recommendations. This is always something that I kind of, uh, you know, in my top two or three that I give to them. Um, I don't know. Should we go ahead and just give like a brief uh, like plot summary of it? Sure, just so yeah, yeah you know, of
1: because a few people, I think if you recall last week when I said it's your turn to name a movie, you said Moon and you're like, have you seen it? I'm like, I've never even heard of it. So right. Which I'm is sure. Which is a big deal have. for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so I'm sure there's other people that have. I've received a lot of, of emails and tweets in the time since then from people that said, hey, I really like this movie. I can't wait to hear what you've got. To, your take is I love this movie. It's a great movie. So it should be an interesting review for us. But yeah, take it away. Okay.
0: So uh, this movie is based in 2035, which is in the very near future, obviously. And um, it's based around a company. It's called Lunar Industries. And they have – they're like the near future Google as far as they have completely revolutionized the way that the Earth um, – you know, it, it, it acquires energy sources. So no longer are we using fossil fuels or anything like that. We get all of our – Uh, energy from the moon. We basically mine helium-3 from lunar soil, which is rich in the material there. Um, So We basically have a moon base that's privately owned and uh, there is one guy that is the only person who is on this moon base. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying uh, I'm going to have a ton of spoilers. I'm basically telling you everything that happens with this movie. If you have not seen it, which is going to be a majority of you guys, I would encourage you to watch it first before you listen to the rest of this podcast because, unlike Chris, I'm not able to objectively describe a movie and be critical of it without telling you exactly what happens all the way through it <laughs> that's okay <laughs> so let me so let me just preface that and say uh pause this film take it you know take a day off go ahead and watch it and then come back because we are going to talk about everything that happens but long story short this guy is working on this moon base uh for what he thinks is a three-year stint uh you know just doing menial tasks basically uh you know random physical labor loading up uh whatever they have mined and putting into a capsule and shipping it back to earth but what ends up happening is uh he he basically finds out that he is a clone he is one of many many dozens and dozens of clones that uh you know over years and decades possibly uh, have basically been replacing each other. So every three years, a clone basically breaks down and a new clone comes up from the bottom of the space station and takes over for him. Um, so this, they're led to believe that they're, you know, a a real person who had an accident. They woke up and they're just finishing out their stint, you know, aboard this company in the space station, and then they're going to go back home and they have a life and they have a wife and a child. But in reality, that's not what happens at all. Um, like I said, they've been up there for dozens and dozens of years, and you know who knows how long they've been up there. But all those people, all those memories that were that were implanted into their brain, are 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 gone. These people are dead, and it's a really r- weird a uh, uh, play on. On, on, on cloning and time and human rights. And um, I'm rambling at this point. So let me just go ahead and jump into it. And what did you think of this movie? Was this something you enjoyed? Was this a little too out there for you? Or what were your general takes from it? Okay,
1: so here's the thing. So we decided to watch this movie. Uh, we actually watched it last night. Very, very fresh in my mind. So last mm-hmm. night, my wife and I, you know, I, I, I get the movie in. We're going hey, to watch this. And I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes in, my wife is like, well, why is there gravity inside this space station? This movie isn't very realistic. And then she's like, <laughs> about f- maybe five minutes later, she's like, you know what? This movie is boring. It's slow. And I'm going to bed. And so she left. And like I say, that was about 20 minutes into the movie. And I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. But I got to say, Yancey, I wish I'd joined her. Oh, Chris, no. Yeah. I, what I knew hell.
0: this was risky. I knew it was risky. What the
1: hell did you make me watch? And I know, I think it was critically received quite well, but mm-hmm. I, just being honest here, I really did not like this movie. I just, okay. I did not like it. I don't know. I, it's, here's the thing, I, you know, I, at, at, at the risk of sounding too cruel, this is an hour and a half of my life that I will never get back. Wow, You know, Black. and I blame you for it, young man.
0: <laughs> so, okay. well, let's 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 yeah. talk this one. Let's 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 tackle this like in, in pieces. OK, sure. So was it that the because I've heard this critique, this exact same critique uh, with Gravity with Sandra Bullock, right? It was See, I like film that. I really I like gravity, enjoyed it, though. Yeah, I and a lot of people good. said, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. It's very boring. Was it that? Um, that the plot was – it was too slow to develop or that you, you did understand what was going on but it was still – it wasn't enough to keep you kind of you know invested in the film. I what guess, was it? For-
1: I guess it was a combination of both. It's like nothing happens in this movie and I'm not invested in the characters. There's only one character mm-hmm. in the film. I mean so that's, that's very risky in itself. Um, I don't know. I just – Overall, like I found it to be very slow, boring, nothing happens. I'm like, okay, you know. And then at the end, like even when I look back on the story at the very end of the film, I like, I kind of look back on the arc of the story and I'm like, why? Like, what's the point? What was the point of this movie? I don't understand. Like, Mm -hmm. at least when I look at something like District 9, you made me watch District 9, you know, two movies ago for you. And at least that one, there was a lot of, like, archetypes in it. There's a lot of parallels to, you know, political things and things like with refugees and all this kind of stuff. And there was some satire in it. And there was this going on and that going on. It was working on a few different levels. Whereas this one was just, it just plotted along. It was what it was. And it was just like, I don't know. It was just... I didn't understand the point of it. I didn't under, to me, like it was just one of those movies. Like, remember we mentioned before, and we've talked about this a couple of times, how I said Gen X movies are, have an inherent rewatchability to them. Like, you know, you'd watch them over and over and over again. And I said, right. millennial films don't. And you argued that millennial films do because the whole point of watching millennial films over and over again is getting something different out of them every time. Whereas right. this movie, like you could not pay me. To watch this movie again, the only way that you could get me to watch this movie again is with a wheelbarrow, a roll of duct tape, and an ether rag. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: so um, and that's a lot there, and you're you're totally entitled to your opinion. That's that's 100. Oh, fine. I'm going to get it doesn't for it. personally it offend good. me. Like yep. I, it's it's fine. So and it's never met. I 100 percent appreciate your honesty. So um, let me just let me let me tackle like the idea of what's the point of this film. Okay. Yeah. yeah please, Whenever I'm I watch this, yeah. um, it was apparent to me. Um, you know, that he was a clone. Okay. And and about a quarter through the film, whenever the two, uh, you know, to, to, to let the audience know what's going on, he basically meets an exact copy of himself. Okay. And normally in this, in this, you know, moon base, it's not supposed to happen like that where, um, you know, you have two that are, alive concurrently basically one dies and another one basically regenerates and that's it and then he's implanted with memories of you know what he's supposed to be doing in his past life and everything and he's only supposed to be there for three years but at the end of the three years it's kind of planned obsolescence and he dies so there's one actor who plays all of these different iterations of this character. Um, Sam Rockwell is the main actor. Uh, You may remember him from like match, uh, matchstick men. Uh, He was the crazy rapist, child rapist on uh, the green mile. I don't know if you have seen that film, Chris, but he was awesome in that. Um, And he's done a lot of other like really small roles and stuff, but phenomenal actor. I mean, I think you can appreciate his acting is actually pretty strong in this, but I think the main point in this is it's talking about, you know, at, at face value it's it's about clones and it's it's addressing the issues like the societal issues that we're going to have to deal with because the technology exists now for us to clone animals and within a few decades if not already we're going to be able to clone people. So it's it's challenging our, our notion that is a clone. Uh, it, you know, if I clone somebody of myself, is that copy basically subservient to me as a whole? Is it a lesser entity? Is its life less valuable than mine? And you can you could say, well, that's just about clones, but you can also apply that same idea, that same mindset to other types of things, whether it be uh, something like, you know, the immigrant crisis that we're talking about or abortion or even something like animals Uh, to give you like a really simple analogy. um, Invasive species are a huge problem in Florida, right where I'm from, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it be Burmese pythons or iguanas or lionfish. Um, So. Through no fault of these animals of their own, uh, they have basically become unwanted. And all of a sudden, it is morably acceptable and actually morably reprehensible if you do not kill these creatures because they're in a habitat where they don't belong. So there's this parallel in this moon base where you have a clone, and it's like they're basically – um, relegated as subhuman these are actual human beings with thoughts and emotions and memories implanted into them but they don't have the same agency as a regular human being does and it kind of tackles that whole issue of like what is an actual human is this morally justifiable you know because it's for the greater good because you know they're developing clean energy and they're running this moon base and other people don't have to do it you see what I'm saying it's kind of it's it's tackling that idea of what exactly makes us a human and what what are our rights as a human being
1: okay so i understand what you're saying and i would argue that i don't think this film does that properly um if that's the case, that it's you know this is more like about you know like who's human, who's not. Do we have feelings? I I just I didn't get that from the film. I didn't feel that the that this film had any um, um, an emotional ground to it. You know what I mean? Like I, and I, and usually to take that you know maybe it's a it's a character that you really really kind of buy into, really care about or something like that. But I didn't get that from the movie. I found the movie and I, maybe it's based on the sets that were used and the fact that it's on the moon. I found the movie, movie to be very cold and distant. Yep. and very very kind of um almost uh what's the word I'm looking for I don't even know it's just just very very cold you know yep. and, and kind of and like
0: detached would you say it was like detached
1: yeah a deta- yeah I guess maybe a little detached or aloof in a way um mm-hmm. but all, I don't know it was just very um very clinical almost in a way and and so there was no emotional ground to the film so it, i think if if the if the point of the movie was to explore issues such as you know, who's human, who's not, you know, who has feelings, what makes us human. This movie failed miserably at that. That's just my personal feeling about it. Right. And, I, and I just want to point out, I think it's interesting because this is the, the second one. Now, I know you really like sci-fi movies, so I can understand yes. that's why you would have, you know, nominated this film for this week. Um, but I think it's interesting that this is the second movie in a row that has the, the major theme of it um, involves sort of memories being implanted into people you know, sort of artificially, and kind of like, what, what's the deal right. with what's the deal with that? I mean, it's a recurring theme for you. Is it something that you find very interesting from a science fiction perspective, or like, did you maybe you didn't even notice, you know, consciously that you were doing that? But that's two movies in a row now that have sort of involved that.
0: Right. It's um, um that's one of my personal little pet projects is uh, movies and film and books that deal with the mind and the perception of reality and how. You know, you can you can basically morph anything, and everybody's expectation and perception of reality is completely different. And it's like this too, where um, here you have basically—I don't want to say they're sentient beings, but you have dozens and dozens of copies of the exact same human right they're basically in like this chronostasis you know chamber where they aren't alive they don't have a heartbeat they don't have anything like that and they're they're generated to become alive and it's playing on on, on the ideas of consciousness and like i said before what makes us a human um you know just the whole state of reality and that's something that it, it is one of my absolute favorites is you know like we talked about with like the matrix and uh you know when, with district nine what exactly makes us human. That's kind of like how uh, I like to take, I like more of like a psychological thing as opposed to creature features or something that jumps out you, or you're just being startled as opposed to thinking, actively thinking and being involved in the movie as to what does this mean? Where is it going? And how does this affect life today? I, I think it's a perfect representation of how even now, you know, in 2017 we're still struggling with uh, what basic human rights we give to things like, uh, you know, a, a person from a different country who has been displaced by war or a, an unborn child in the womb, things like that. It's still very, very basic, but it's a debate that we've been having for 100 years. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I'm I wondering it, too. Like, so I wonder, it, it, maybe you can answer. You, you're the guy to answer this in terms of your the millennial generation. Because like, it seems like this is the second movie in a row. Like I said, with The Matrix, I thought handled this, this idea a little bit better in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, the fact that um, people are just basically being used, You know, being exploited in some way for for some sort of gain. Um, With The Matrix, it was obviously, you know, these aliens that did it to get power, right? Like actual electrical power out of human beings. And in this one, it's about a corporation who basically creates these clones to work the mines. Because after three years, uh, as we saw with the one character... I guess I'm assuming he got sick, like radiation sickness or something. That's why he was sick and was, you know, blood and all that kind of stuff. So they're not going to lie. You couldn't put a human up there. They're going to die. So, you know, you create clones to do it. And then when they get done their usefulness, we just kill them off and we bring up another clone. And then therefore they just keep working the mines, and we get all the energy that way. So the the themes are very similar that way. So is there like a general feeling amongst the millennial generation in terms is there like a feeling of angst? You know, in terms of this fear of being manipulated by an external force or power some way like it's a recurring theme here in two movies.
0: I think you're just scratching at that like it's a like a very minor possibility, but I think you actually nailed it right on the head where that's that's probably the main driving theme of this and the matrix where um, it's basically challenging the premise that everything that we're taught to believe is a complete lie, where you're thought to believe that the system that we're currently operating in is completely fair and valid and just, when in reality, it's not. There's a system that's in place that benefits a very select few, and it's up to us to kind of acknowledge that it exists like that and to do something about it. So I think this is one of those... Uh, you know, gaining consciousness films where it's it's using an analogy, and you know, it's using a metaphor to basically think, to force its audience to think on a wider scale. So, I mean, like I said, you, you threw that out there, I think almost as like a, you know, just a, a very initial kind of start the conversation, but I think you actually nailed it exactly on the head. That's, that's probably the main theme of this is to get us to think a little bit wider, to think of uh, not like this one specific case or that one specific scenario where a human is duplicated and how that affects, you know, you know his human rights and stuff, but to think even wider, how do each of each of us individually, you know, fit into a, a gigantic economic system? I'm um, I'm really fascinated by stuff like this, and I think it's going to become apparent as you and I keep suggesting more and more films. Um, I I want to mix it up and have different type of genres and stuff like that, but right now, you know, presently, I'm 28 years old, and this is the type of films that I'm constantly kind of evolving and, and and you know just retreading and going over and over and over again because um, like these movies where it's challenging your place in the world me is like a late 20s that's kind of what I'm dealing with personally where I'm trying to find you know exactly how the world works and I'm rechallenging all the notions that I was fed you know my entire life and it causes me to rethink about how the world actually works so um, I find myself like placing movies like this that only grossed you know 10 million dollars worldwide they have so much more importance to me right now um, so my question to you is let me turn that into a question like did you have films like this whenever you were a, a teenager or you' were in your tw- early 20s or late 20s where when you watched it, it actually challenged like your idea of how society worked or your place in it can you think of anything like that I know it's kind of a really you know weird question to ask but any movies like that that actually made you think differently about the way that the
1: world works uh, no I not, nothing that comes to mind right off the top of my head that's for sure and and I think it goes back to what we said last week where I think a lot not not to not to say that Gen X movies are dumbed down a bit, but I think Gen X movies are just kind of they're brilliant in their simplicity that they're, they're, mm-hmm. there's just a very simple plot. There's a simple story arc and that's what it is, what it is. And that's what makes it rewatchable. Cause it's very simple and it's like comfort food. You go back over and over again, you just watch it and it's great. Um, whereas it seems like a lot of the millennial films, there's a lot more, more of a high concept and kind of that going on. Um, mm-hmm. I made the, the comment before too, um, that I believe the greatest sci-fi uh, films uh, base themselves in premises that are rooted in the time in which that they're 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 created, you know, and then the time that they come out. And I mentioned before, like if you go back to the '50s, with something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, um, was definitely rooted in the in the in the in the time. People were scared of you know McCarthyism and communists and all that kind of stuff. And in the '70s, there was disaster films, you know, and things like that. And in the '80s, that people were worried about the Cold War and and things like that. Um, whereas. With the especially the early millennial stuff, um, stuff like The Matrix and like this, you know, people are concerned about being taken over by you know machines or you know computers taking over their lives or having not having full control of their lives, you know. So so for, so on that in that sense, I think it's kind of cool. But I cannot say directly, just off the top of my head, that there's any films from my generation that maybe think on sort of an existential level, you mm-hmm. know, other than just enjoying it for what it was in terms of a story. Not off the top of my head, anyway.
0: Um, that, that is pretty interesting, and one of the things I love about doing this podcast with you, though, is that you can tell that you and I are – we're products of two completely different environments, and I think if you a 100,000 people who were born within two or three years of you – I'm not saying all of them. I don't like to put people in a huge bucket, but uh, a lot more of them, I think, would would have your leanings as far as uh, you know what their personal tastes are or what they gravitate towards as far as you know music, movies, and books, that type of thing. And whereas with me, I think you would find that more people born within you know a handful of years of me, they would align themselves more with films like this. So like two thousand and nine, Moon came out. It only did ten million dollars, but I, I can guarantee you that a vast majority of that ten million was people relatively close to my age demographic. You know what I mean? Where this was something that was speaking to them individually, and you know, movies from your generation. While I still enjoy them, and I can I can be honest and say that yeah, they have like some serious staying power, and it's something that I could go back and rewatch. Um, they're speaking to two different audiences, so it may not you know it, it may not speak to you directly. It may not have that same. You know, uh, entertainment value with you, but um, it does work for like a, a, a different swath of the population.
1: Well, you make a good point that it, that it certainly didn't find an audience when it came out. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it finished 161st at the box office in 2009. It's it was sandwiched right between the two classics, Broken Elements and Miss March. So, you know, I mean, you know, I, you, you <laughs> figure that, out, you know. But uh, but you know, that being said, so. That's, that's okay. That's not necessarily a criticism because a lot of great, great films didn't find an audience when they first came out. They took time to build that. That being said, I don't think this is a great film, and I don't think it's going to build an audience over time either. That's just my, my thoughts. A couple of uh, things, though. Some notes that I did take when I was watching it that I thought was interesting was there are, you know, we speak of, you know, we always talk about Gen X versus the millennial generation. Obviously, that's what podcasts mm-hmm. are all about. But there was quite a few things in this movie that were Gen X references. And I don't know if you picked up on all of them. Like, that, at the very beginning, when he was getting his hair cut and he had that thing on his head and it was cutting mm-hmm. his hair, that's called a floby, by the way, just so you know. So you might have to go and, like, Google this. But the floby was a thing that they used to sell in infomercials, you know, in, in Gen X in, like, the, the 80s and 90s. Um, and, and it would, was basically attached to your vacuum cleaner and it just sucked your hair up and cut it. So he was using that. Another thing I noticed was... For when it was t- like for time to have some downtime, he would watch shows like Bewitched and Mary Tyler Moore. He was yep. The the show, Mar- yep. Like, like, holding smokes, look at this Gen X. I thought there was a lot of similarities between the look and the themes in the movie uh, between this movie and 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, I, I, I knew I was-
0: you were going to say that, yeah. specifically the AI. Um- you know, the, the counterpart, his assistant, he, I mean, he basically sounds just like Hal. His name's Gertie. He's yep. narrated by Kevin Spacey, who was probably the single most expensive aspect of this entire film. You know, if it were a $5 million budget, probably $2 million of that was for Kevin Spacey voicing gertie in this but he is like a a more modern uh you know millennial version of Hal from yep. you
1: know yep and, and that's and that you kind of hit you right right from the get-go and two other quick things i'll mention in terms of a connection to, to gen x was um he, when he turned on the music I, he was listening to katrina and the waves you know walking on sunshine and yep. which is you know a huge 80s song and then the other thing that i thought was interesting was when he walks by he 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 claps his hands and he uses the clapper to turn the lights off Yes. So that's a big <laughs> that's a big time '80s <laughs> thing too. So there was a, definitely a lot of uh, you know a lot of that going on. But I still got to say, you know, and again, I'm going to get emails. I'm going to get tweets about it. I don't care. It's just my opinion. It's an hour and a half of my life that I'll never get back. I really okay. just didn't like that. I don't know. That was just my thing. Anyway, are you are you ready now to to get into some trivia? I'm going to ask you some trivia about this movie and see how well you know it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go. Fun with Yancey. <laughs> okay. So let's get to some trivia here. What do I got for you first? Okay, the director. You mentioned his name. Duncan mm-hmm. Jones, right, was the director. Do you know who was his famous father? Uh, <laughs> I don't, Chris. Ooh, I, 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 got him. I got him. I was talking with Caveman today. You know, our good buddy, Derek Myers. I was mm-hmm. talking to him, and he knew right away. I didn't even tell him the trivia question. He's like, oh, this director, and this is his dad. His dad was David Bowie. Excuse me? Yeah, David Bowie is his dad. Really? There you go. See, I'm teaching you stuff about this. Okay. So the star of this movie, obviously, Sam Rockwell, right? So although he'd been acting in TV and film probably right since the late 80s, right? But really, Sam Rockwell's big break came in your favorite year, Yancey, in 1999, when he appeared in not one, but in two breakout roles. Yancey, can you name either one of the films from 1999 that featured Sam Rockwell and were two of his breakout roles?
0: I know one is the Green Mile, like yes. I mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can, you, can you possibly guess the other one? The other one was like a really weird sci-fi film. Um, yes, you've mentioned it on this podcast before, actually. It came yeah. out in 1999
0: um, it was a satire. It was kind uh, of not like- Galaxy Quest, was it? Yes. 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 Okay. I've only seen the film like one time. It doesn't have a ton of staying power, but yeah.
1: Okay, so Kevin Spacey, you mentioned him already. So one thing <laughs> is, when they were going to get ready to make this movie, they sent him the script. He read the script. And he liked the script, but he wouldn't commit to doing the voiceover until the film was finished and he saw the final product. Okay, he wanted to see the final movie before he said, okay, I'll do the voiceover. Um, and, and, and as it turned out, obviously, he agreed to do it. He did it in, in like a couple of hours. One afternoon, he nailed all of the, the voiceover work for it. But if he would have you know, refused to do the voiceover, they had a backup plan in place. Any guesses as to who the director was going to use <laughs> to do the voice of Gertie? Uh can you give me a hint? Some sort of hint? Um Kevin Spacey does a mean impersonation of this guy.
0: Uh I've seen Kevin's Well Kevin that's not fair because Kevin Spacey does a ton he does of Does a lot of good
1: impersonation. Let's just say uh the, he would have brought more cowbell to the role. Not Will Farrell. No, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Really? Yeah, Christopher Walken they were going to approach to get it. Okay, so one more question for you. Good question, though, by the way. Oh, really yeah, good question. Good, 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 good. Nancy, what is the one surefire way to waste an hour and a half of your life that you will never get back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you, you, you don't got to kick me when I'm
1: down. <laughs> <laughs> I having some fun with that one. Okay, I tell you what. I thought it was an interesting one. I guess it had to come one, one mm-hmm. of these movies back and forth where you're like I just didn't like it, it didn't, they're not they're not
0: all going to be hits Chris no they're and, not and, all and gonna that's
1: be- cool and that's cool I, I was surprised that, it, that such a, a clunker for me anyway came so early in this but it's all good okay Yancey here's what I want you to do I want you to watch the for next week and come back and be prepared to talk about this movie it's a Gen X flagship film yes I'm talking about the 1985 John Hughes Generation X classic The Breakfast Club OK, I want to know how a millennial relates to that movie. I want to know if the themes and the issues hold up and if they resonate with you and your generation or not. So this is going to be an interesting. I want you to come back next week having watched The Breakfast Club and we're going to talk. Are you up for that?
0: I'm up for that. I have never seen this film, but this is one of those films where everybody has. And every time I say I haven't seen it, it's almost... Like
1: blasphemous, like people can't On believe. Twitter, I, I see it. that all the time. People are like, I can't believe you haven't seen that, Yancy. Oh my goodness. Yep.
0: yep. Unlike unlike me recommending movies that came out in nineteen ninety, you know nine or two thousand nine that had a ten million dollar gross. Like this was actually a very big film that a lot of people hold, you know, near and dear to the heart. So and, I, and I'm and ready. I, for it. I need to watch it.
1: You yeah. do need to, and I really hope that you come in next week, being able to say, I understand why that is and but i'm curious to know because really as i mentioned to you way back on episode one we were talking about the movie that defines our generation and you said the matrix best defines the millennial generation and i said the breakfast club best defines generation x because i think it just really speaks to the sort of that angst that teen angst and kind of the things we all went through and all that but i'm curious to know if it holds up today because i think it does I think, it does. I think you watch it and go, yeah, I went through the same things. Yeah, I knew people like that in high school. I was one of those people. So I'm hoping that's going to be the case, but we're definitely going to find out. It's definitely going to make for some interesting talk. So next week, we're going to take a look at The Breakfast Club. Sound good? Sounds great, man. All right. Well, until then, this is Chris McBrien. Of course, for Yancey Eaton, as always saying, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast continue the conversation on twitter at c mcbryan or at Yancey eaton please consider leaving a review for the podcast on itunes or wherever you download and listen to the show